kids out there, are you getting a little anxious? You want to shake in your boots a little bit? It's only eight days, man. Get here already, right? <laughs> are you shaking just a little bit? Yeah, I am. I'm excited. Come on. Let's just get it out a little bit, right? Like next Sunday is the night of nights, man, right? <laughs> um, if you're unable to join us for Sunday school and you want a Christmas reading, this book has been really fantastic. We've actually just been walking through a couple of the, it's just kind of stories of the hymns and everything and kind of going through some of the Christmas hymns. This book and then Alistair Beggs, uh, the Christmas playlist is also a really good one from the Truth, Truth for Life website. Is also another really good one that goes through a Mary's song, actually, when Jay was saying about you know, what was she pondering and everything. And the, her song is very explanatory of like what she is really pondering in her heart through like the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled and everything. So that made me think, hey, this book is really good. And then Alistair Begg's uh, The Christmas Playlist is also a really good one as well uh, for for the season, you know, to uh, to just... Adore, you know, come, let us adore him, right? Is, is the, I guess it's a hymn too. <laughs> so, well, I hope and pray you're all doing well. You know, as we approach Christmas, it always seems that we live in two worlds. A world full of cheer and glory and a Merry Christmas and another world full of darkness, dread, and war-torn landscapes. It is all not right and bright, and for some they cannot find a silent night, because everything is out of order. We think of the seasons and the holiday greetings as times of peace and war and wonder, and then we ask the question, how do we endure? How do we go on? That's the question that the world screams sometimes. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a hope that is not of this world, right? Because we are no longer in bondage to sin and shame. We are made workmanships of Christ. Placed on a path for his righteousness. placed on a path of the righteousness of God that men, all of mankind, all can see him and give glory to him. And the amazing thing of it, as we saw and looked at Mary, is not a woman to be worshipped, but a woman to be seen as a willing vessel in an amazing period of history of when God sent forth his son, that through these vessels of clay, through these vessels of earthenware and jars, a holy God of the universe came not just to save, but to sanctify us and to deliver us from sin and death. That is why even in the times of darkness, we can say Merry Christmas, right? For Christ has come for all. And he calls to us and he desires us to come to him. Now, Jesus is the slain lamb of the Lord who came for the joy set before him, the redemption of humanity. 
The Lord is the true light who has come to save us. He has come to die for the ungodly. I must have this verse on my mind, but John just eloquently puts it on our hearts and minds. It's John 1, 9-13 yet again. Yeah, I'm like, hey, it's in all the introductions through the season, but why not? Because there's so much amazing grace in this. John writes this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. And to his own Sorry, and yet the world did not know him, and he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Hmm. Jesus came into the world to give light to everyone. And those that reject him remain in that darkness and deal with it daily and, and pour through news stories and wonder how can we get peace. They have received and received, they will receive their consequences for their choice. But those that receive him are born from above born of God. Those that receive Jesus receive a relationship with the Almighty. They are made blameless by the slain Lamb's blood and are able to dwell with the Lord forevermore. We just have a lot of distractions here that keep us away from being present with Him, right? Presence! <laughs> but we can dwell with him through it all. In the here and now, there are wars, there are rumors of wars, there are evils, there's sin and death here. So as we deal with the consequences of sin and death, we also have hope. Because in Christ, we have hope eternal. Now, as we end our study in Psalm 107 today, we can see that there are consequences. There are consequences for our choices. And then we get to see this as well as we can do this through the Christmas season. We can see that humanity needs to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, let's open in a word of prayer. And Father God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for your mercies new every morning. That you love the ungodly. That in our weak and broken estate, you love us. You come not to just be in the pit with us, but to lift us out of it. You are the sympathetic God that lifts us out of the muck and the myrrh and sets us upon the rock. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to study in Sunday school and to talk about life and different things going on fellowship with one another, to pray for all these surgeries and all these different things going on in life, Lord, to lift them up, 
to your very throne of grace to seek mercy and grace in our time of need. And Lord, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you for, for Mary just being a, a willing servant to say, let it be done. To be willing to allow you to work in our lives is a beautiful thing. Lord, be with us in this time and encourage us, equip us, cut us through with your word. Help us just to aim to please you, Lord. Seek your will and way through this life. Rid us of all of our distractions, of, of everything that's happened this last week, everything that's going to happen this next week. And, you know, oh, the holiday rush is coming. But help us be mindful of you through it all, Lord, of the gift given. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to, to Psalm 107. It'll be uh, down in verse uh, 33. And let's... Uh, Read the whole passage together, verse 33 through 43. Uh, the psalmist writes this. He turns the rivers into, desert, into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste, because of the evil of its, of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours out contempt on the princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of the affliction, and makes their families like flocks, and the upright <coughs> see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The main point of this last passage in Psalm 107 is that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord rules over all, and our choices matter. And we should consider the steadfast love of God. It is a great ending to a psalm that started like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the whole point, right? I don't have to read anymore. You don't have to study anymore. Boom. No, you get to concentrate and grow on it and see how much that just ebbs and flows throughout all different parts of life. Because we can understand first and foremost that God indeed is a good God. He is just. He brings mercy or judgment. 
his righteous wrath to bear upon humanity. So the question is, how does this work? How, how does this go on? What are, what are the conditions? You know? Well, if we look at Israel, we can see that first and foremost, through Abraham, through the covenant given to Abraham, it's unconditional, right? Something that God will do. He tells Abraham in Genesis this, now the Lord said to Abram, which is Abram, Abraham's name before he's changed to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And, I'll, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a unconditional covenant god is going to do this to abram to abraham he's going to bless abram he's going to bring him out of the nations to bless all of the nations to bring about salvation to all we're in the condition uh, the covenant of christ being one with christ the condition is faith and for all of salvation throughout the bible it's actually that it is it is faith is the condition Genesis actually records this of Abram himself. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, to Abram's account, as righteousness. We actually learned that in Crossroads this last year, right? How could, you know, I keep on, hey, that verse is good, let's put it everywhere. <laughs> you know? like this is the, the footsteps of faith that Paul actually talks about in, in Romans 4.12. He's, he talks about that, that that is our forefather of right here, right now. This is how we meet the conditions of the Almighty in knowing him and trusting him and resting upon his promises. Now, Paul actually puts it like this in Romans 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. But the, Paul the Apostle states this, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness just like Abraham's, right? This is how the Bible brings it to bear. We have all sinned, all of us. Both, both Jew and Gentile are unable to obey the standards of the law, whether you have the stone tablets in front of you that Moses you know, brought down from the mountain or whether you have the stone tablets written on your hearts. That's what all Romans 1 through 3 is all about. We are unable to do, work it out. We are unable to maintain the standards of holiness that God has. We are unable to work for it. And if we try working for it, then we will receive our due wage. And the wage of sin is death. So that's why we are unable to do what we need to do. We need a different way, right? A righteousness manifest apart from the law as Paul brings forward 
in the next part of the book of Romans, we must rest. We must believe upon him who justifies the ungodly. That is the condition. We need to take God at his word. We need to rest on him. And then we are counted as righteousness. As righteous. Just like Abram. The psalmist writes this. He turns the rivers into deserts. Into desert spring, uh, springs of water into thirsty ground. <clears throat> Here we can look and see that the Lord is mighty. That he is the same God that parted the Red Sea, that rescued Israel from doom, and then doomed the very Egyptians that were fighting against the Lord with the same water. Judgment is seen here. Jesus talks about it in, in the Gospels. He says, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And why is that? You know, Jesus is using that example and others in that text as an example that Israel had provoked the Lord, provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. And it points to another truth that Paul talks about in Romans. He says this, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order that to make some follow of my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. That in that the people of Israel would wake up. That they would see that yes, they're the covenant people and yes, the Lord is going to do these things. But there's, you need to wake up and understand that the Lord God is good but he is also a good judge and he brings dry ground. He brings the famine for all of us to turn back to God because he doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to live. The psalmist goes on saying this. <clears throat> he turns a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. Now it's interesting, this, this picture, I'm like, this is amazing. Because Israel can either be a land flowing of milk and honey, or it can be a desert. And it's been that various way in and throughout its history. It can be a fruitful land, or it can be salted. Uh, something that ancient Near East people would actually do uh, to the land. They would salt it so nothing would grow. Uh, Romans were very famous for doing this to Carthage and to all of Judea after the second Jewish uprising. They salted the whole land. They actually renamed it to the word Palestine that we use still today because it was old Judea. And then they, they actually renamed it and deported all the Jews and then salted the land as well. It's an amazing picture throughout all of history that obedience brings fruit and oh, disobedience brings wasteland. Obedience brings water and disobedience brings a parched life. We can see it very clearly in the Christian life as well. 
right? We're justified, free and forever. But yet we are told, do not quench the Spirit. Which means even after meeting the condition, right? Placing our faith of belonging in Christ Jesus, being hidden in Him, we have choices. Just like the good old Israelites that we kind of say, you know, how could you build a, a calf? God is right there talking to Moses and you're building a calf. How funny is that? I'm like, how many idols are we building in life? Yeah, yeah, Lord, I got this. <laughs> yeah, all right. And we don't physically build them, though. We have choices each and every day. Will we drink deep of the Spirit or will we quench the Spirit? Because what we sow here, we will reap. We will either reap a fruitful, a fruitful life or parched life. Talking about water makes me thirsty, apparently. <laughs> Paul states it like this. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You know, the first choice, the choice of believing in Christ or not, is a choice between the whole of the world, life or death, Christ or self. This choice, on the other hand, is before believers. Which way will we walk? Which, which path will we take? Our walk is a daily one. We, in theological terms, we call it sanctification. And it's something that, that doesn't happen overnight, right? It is, it is a marathon with a goal in mind that is set for the moment we see our Savior, whether he calls us home or he returns. We keep on trucking and keep on going through the, through the highs and the lows. It's something that we talked about in Sunday school as well. And that's why discipleship is so important because it kind of keeps you going instead of, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's some big cliffs and ups and downs of life. But the slow and steady of being in the Word and being walking with the Lord is something that we all need. You know, the interesting thing about it is that our, our fruit is not land and not blessings all around us. That's another difference between the church and Israel, actually. As, as we've discussed through, throughout. Uh, you know, it's not blessings around us, but it is actually blessings within us. Our fruit and our water can be seen in character and heart change and even our, our thinking, right? Renewal of our mind. Paul tells us this, the fruit of the Spirit, right? I always thought it was fruits, you know, like, you know, hey, yeah, look, uh, like the apples are doing good. The oranges, you know, those grapes are a little rough, though. But it's a, actually like it's a fruit. It's all encompassing. I'm like, oh, man, that makes it a little bit harder. Because, <laughs> right, you know, we can look at one and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm peaceful. But I ain't got no self-control. You know, right? You know, but we look at it all together. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. The best one, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We, you know, we got all those down, right? But then God just wants to send in the curveball that, you know, gets us all self-control. No, no. <laughs> right? And this beautiful part, against such things, there is no law. You can be as joyful, as peaceful, as patient, as kind, and as good, and as faithful, and as gentle, and as self-controlled as you ever wanted to be, and no one's going to slap you up the head and say, stop that, <laughs> right? Well, at least not God is, right? <laughs> Somebody's be like, hey, you're being, you know, don't be a holy roller. You ever hear that term? That's a yeah, good oldie. <laughs> You know, it really brings it to bear of why there was so much judgment in the wilderness and in the land. It was, it was immediate. Paul actually talks about it being an illustration for us. It was, it was immediate because their conditional covenant, right? This is the conditional covenant that Israel swore to uphold at Mount Sinai with the law of Moses being the whole thing of, of how they will keep the land. And that's a whole different aspect of the people of Israel. They saw their wrongs right away. We, on the other hand, have our judgments stored up for us. And we will be judged at the Bema seat of Christ. At the throne of Jesus, we will, we will actually give an account to our deeds and our very idle words that we have spoken. I don't know which one's scarier. I think I'd rather deal with it right now. <laughs> Let the serpents come get me. <laughs> I always, that's, you know, like one of those illustrations that, you know, it's, of course, you would turn. You're going to die. Those vipers are biting everyone. You're going to turn and look at the bronze serpent. It's an amazing illustration that we're all dead and dying and we all need Jesus. And yet people are out there saying, no, I'm fine. I don't need him. I'm good. Like, dude, you just got bit by a snake. What are you talking about? Like, the, like, the illustration works. Like, because I can't see an Israelite in my mind saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm just going to die here. Right? But yet it, it's, it's very moving. We hear this next from the psalmist. And he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish cities to live in. And they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. Those that realize their need are welcomed in. They are established. They are planted. They are welcome to live and they become fruitful. The words of Jesus echo here as he talks to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Right, pointing, probably pointed right at the well he's sitting on, right? But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The world's water won't quench, right? Your thirst, neither physically or spiritually, will ever be quenched. We will continuously have to buy Costco Kirkland brand because it's the best, right? You know, you can try all those other things. If there's any Arrowhead fans out there, I don't... Really? Anybody? No? Good. 
Way to stand. It's a good consensus. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we can we can scale those waters one day. We'll do a rating. Um, it won't quench. You'll you'll end up needing it more and more each day. We're in Christ, in God. We will never thirst again because in Him we are satisfied. He can take the weight of all of it. And by him we are given water that becomes a spring of water. How amazing is that? That in Christ we are no longer hungry and thirsty, but we are satisfied. There is no other person, no other ism, no other political movement, cult, religion, occult, that is able to, to do that, able and truly to fulfill us. It is all unable. But in Christ Jesus, we find the one who is able. And we are able through him to approach the Holy One and to dwell with him forevermore. The psalmist goes on stating this in verse 38. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. Now, Abram was blessed. And he was made to be a blessing. His name is great. Abraham. They even call it the Abrahamic faiths, right? You know, the Jews, the Islamics, and the Christians, we all subscribe to the Abrahamic faith. We, we kind of like point out and say, well, yeah, we have all our disagreements and everything. But Abraham is always talked about in the world of the religious conversations and philosophical debates. Throughout the book of Genesis, we see the nation of Israel grow and grow and grow. I mean, you know, when Jacob was coming back to Esau... He kept on sending everyone ahead. You know, my, my master's coming in. I'm like, dude, this is huge. Like, <laughs> you know, Esau finally gets there and, you know, forgives Jacob. And then you read this in the book of Exodus. The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. And they multiplied and grew expediently strong. So that the land was filled with them. The Lord blesses us. The Lord grants us life. An opportunity to know him. And to willingly walk away if we want to. But yet we who hope in him, we who accept the offer of life. Have this hope in this earthen jar, clay and vessel. That we're able to share with the world. And proclaim to the world. <coughs> For we know that the Lord is good. We know of his steadfast love. So we tell of the good news. James tells it like this. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
of his own will he brought forth brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures in God we have life in God we are able to be born again apart from him there is only desert and darkness the psalmist goes on in verses uh, 39 through 41 saying this when they are diminished and brought low through oppression evil and sorrow he pours contempt on the princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes he raises up the needy out of the affliction and makes their families like flocks good gifts come from god in this broken and sinful world oppression takes place evil and sorrows are here the good things that god gives us are trampled upon and twisted sin is anything we do say or think that is against the character of god so when we go our own way contempt is poured out upon us and specifically the princes it makes me think you know Interestingly enough about Pharaoh and then all the kings that chose not to walk in the ways of David, right? It's poured out upon these princes, these leaders. And then they are made to wander in trackless lands. Like even when they're like, you know, no, we won't go. It's a specific illustration that they would they would get in the time of the writing, right? That it's like, yeah, you know, that was we're not going to listen to the Lord. And they were made to wander and waste the land. But then the beautiful thing is that the Lord brings out, brings up the needy out of their affliction and multiplies them for generations. Hannah actually states this in Psalm, or sorry, not Psalm, in 1 Samuel 1 in her prayer. The Lord makes the poor and makes the rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherits a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. The world is out of order. And the amazing thing about Christmas is that we understand that that's what sin does. That's what darkness does. That's what evil does. But this is what the Lord does. He comes to make it all right. He comes to reorder the world. And we have this hope and stay in the Lord because he will make everything right. For he is the maker and he is the redeemer. That's what Hannah points at. The psalmist ends in verses 41 and 43 stating this. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of God. The upright, those who trust the Lord, are overjoyed by the reality that God is about setting things right. The world and those that are in love with their sin, who are defined by their sin, are against it. And they now rage, but one day 
it will all come to pass. And therefore, let us all hear and understand and then put this knowledge into practice, right? Let us be about these things. Let us think upon the steadfast love of God. Let us tell the world about it. The Bible sometimes is thought of as an instructional manual of life, right? The how do, how do we do, <laughs> how do we do this, right? Um, you know, it's good. It has a lot of good things in there of what not to do. You know, don't be like this, don't do that, you know. And we need that. But the interesting thing about the Bible is that there are a lot of warnings. Bridge out. This way leads to death. This way leads to not good relations, right? You know, we need those as well. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm, Psalm chapter 2. David writes this psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in desertion. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them with his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Biblical warnings are needed for they inform us that hope is not here among the worldviews of humanity, the isms and the religions and the whatnots. It is with the Lord alone, the Lord who came, that we may have everlasting life in him, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but be with God and have refuge in him. We trust in the Son who died for us and who arose on the third day and who is coming back and one day will set everything back into place. Let's close in prayer. And Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you have given us. Thank you for your amazing grace found in Christ alone. And we can place our faith upon him and be justified. And then as we walk through this life of, 
of ups and downs that we can aim to please you and that we can hope in this amazing assurance that one day we will be with you and we will be like you that we will no longer struggle with sin and death but everything will be in its proper place we thank you lord for today thank you for an opportunity to fellowship to sing to study be with us as we go about our day as we go into busy busy weeks and a busy season meeting with family and friends and just pray for uh, different opportunities to share and to love upon people it's in your name we pray jesus amen